0: Thanks for listening to Marketing B2B Tech, the podcast from Napier, where you can find out what really works in B2B marketing today. Welcome to the latest edition of Marketing B2B Technology, the podcast from Napier. Today I have Riaz Kanani. He's the founder of Radiate B2B. Hi Riaz, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks Mike, really good to be here.
0: Great. I, I mean, the, the first thing I, I want to say is I looked at your LinkedIn, and you've had an amazing career um, building <laughs> different businesses. I, I mean, can you talk us through this journey and some of the things you've done?
1: Yeah, sure, sure. It's been it's been fun. I am the first to say that I've been very lucky. I think to get involved in or do some of the things that I've done. I mean, I I started. Well, I started when I was 16, really. Um, I didn't really know I was running a startup, um, but I was, and I didn't even know it was a marketing company, actually, for that matter. I was consulting with companies on how to get onto the internet and, and making money that way and pay more away through university doing it. Um, and and it was only really as um, I learned more about the, the sort of you know, what you take today as the fundamentals of business, really. You start to l- understand all the, the acronyms and the language that so you start to realise actually what I'm winning is a marketing business, um, <laughs> <laughs> which, you know, sounds silly in hindsight, but uh, it's just the way I came at it. And, and actually doing that through university, um, you know, I, I was part of the team that set up the, um, the radio station there. So I got into audio video through that. And actually it was that, um, that... Really got me started on the path to running my own technology business rather than continuing to do consultancy because we, you know, we discovered and the naivety of an 18 year old discovered that we had used Java technology to put audio and video onto every single computer out there. 99% of computers would play back this content, whereas for those that were around in the, the early 2000s, you know the best you could get was about 30% using either Windows Media Player or, or QuickTime. And so I looked at it and was like, well, surely every company under the planet that creates video is just going to automatically pick us with three times better. Um, and I remember you know, jumping um, on a plane the day after my last exam at university across to Dublin, it was on Ryanair, we were delayed by about two hours. I landed at about um, 11.30 at night to meet <laughs> the the CEO of this company, who quite kindly had stayed up and waited for me, given I was two hours late, you know, in hindsight. Um, I had no real understanding of, of, you know, what was normal. And actually, in hindsight, that wasn't normal. Um, and, you know, we had a chat. And then I walked up in the morning and, and gave a presentation to this company. And it was... You know, a few hundred people or something in the, in the auditorium about this technology and what we could do. And I came out all on a high and thinking, this is brilliant. Um, and then landed back into London. And for the next 11 months or 11 months and, you know, three weeks, not a single person returned our call. Nobody was interested. They all found it too technical and too too difficult. And so we ended up pivoting that business to be a video advertising network. And the minute we did that, the phone never stopped ringing. And it was an amazing, you know, that amazing hockey curve journey of, of, you know, doing campaign after campaign, um, jumping on a plane to the States and, and all the rest of it, right? And, um, uh, you know, we were all still very naive. We were all still in our early 20s. There wasn't as much, you know, to do a startup in those days was um, still not really the sexy thing to do. And we followed best practice advice. and, and actually screwed it up a little bit, really. And so I learned a whole lot about shares and options and equity and all these sorts of legal stuff that I, again, hadn't known at the time. And we ended up splitting that business. And eventually the business that we split out um, sold to Silverpop. and Mm -hmm. We then, myself and my co-founders, then helped to build Silverpop internationally. And and of course that was really where you know Silverpop became one of the one of the best ESPs, as they call it, email service providers, and then launched. They bought a company called Vtrends and launched B2B marketing um, automation platform, right alongside Marketo and Eloqua. Um, and so, so we built that up, and actually, you know, that was brilliant because we were setting best practice. We were talking about like, the best way to do B2B marketing, and and really it was you know, a heady time. Um, and again, you don't realize it at the time. And, and then eventually, of course, that exited to IBM. And, and actually it was around that point that I said that I would get out of doing startups. I'd done four startups by that point in, in various guises if you count the pivots. Um, and, and so I was gonna get out of doing that. I was gonna stop traveling quite so much. I was traveling a lot back then. And I was going to not focus on marketing so much, which, because I was just, I'd seen so many new marketing startups and they were all basically big data plus whatever we'd done before. And they were the most dull things in the world to look at. <laughs> um, and so I decided I was going to get out of all that. And so, and in hindsight, it felt like a decade, right? But it was only four years. Four years later, I'm back doing another startup. i would managed to at least, um, at least not do, a marketing startup. Um, we did a, a startup all about AI and knowledge and basically putting the right content in front of, the right quality content in front of business people. Nobody were interest, was interested in paying for it, so we shut it down. <laughs> and, I, and I gave in and said, look, um, I, was, you know, I was talking to a whole bunch of marketing directors, and um, you know, I realized how much acquisition costs have risen in the last five, seven years, and was looking at basically watching marketing directors basically every year turn around and go right we're going to to invest more content more events that are smaller on average than the year before they're more micro and we're going to have to increase reach and whatever that you know whatever happens that means your marketing budget is going to have to go up um just to stay the same really and that's not a great place to be and so i thought well there must be a better way of doing things and so we started to look at data again I've built my career really throughout all of it the common thread is taking data and trying to do something valuable with it and and we started to look at what we could do and and basically eventually that brings us to you know three or four years ago with the the start of Radiate B2B.
0: I mean that's an amazing journey you know and going from you know literally start up at university all the way to start up that's now part of IBM and then back to start up again. (laughs) (laughs)
1: yeah yeah i couldn't i couldn't stay away
0: (laughs) awesome so i mean tell me a little bit about radiate b2b i mean um what what problem were you trying to solve when you started the company
1: yeah so so the underlying the underlying thing that we saw quite early on we obviously had these rising acquisition costs and, and the sort of drive for marketing directors to to continuously increase the amount of output just so they could get um you know, share of, share of mind in terms of the market, in terms of the amount of content that they push out. Um, and we looked at that and we were like, well, if you're a buyer and you're, you know, you don't care about a problem until, until that problem is something you care about, right, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not on your radar. So the minute you are thinking about that problem, you sort of dip your toe in. And, you know, we did some research a couple months ago on this. And, and still today, most people, will um, do a Google search to look and find out about a problem they're trying to solve. Word of mouth comes into it as well. That was second. And, you know, when you do that today, an awful lot of the time the front page is crowded with vendor content. And most of the time, sadly, that vendor content is not very high quality. Mm -hmm. And so as a buyer, you tend to, we we hypothesized anyway, at that time that buyers would increasingly go back to analysts and independent websites and third parties rather than vendors to do a lot of their very early research um, and only start to come to vendor sites later. And if that's the case, that takes us back to really the sort of environment we were in 10 years ago when marketing automation platforms were first starting to come on the scene where basically by the time the lead had self-identified, they were probably already talking or in talks with a couple of other vendors already. And so you're on the back foot. And so we wanted to figure out a way we could use data to basically understand your marketplace better to therefore help sales development teams have better quality conversations and more of them um, fundamentally. And that's, that's what we sought to build now i will say i'll say one thing which which actually i think you'll laugh at in hindsight um me being me i built this brand spanking wireframe that was brilliantly cool showed everything <laughs> went and showed all my contacts that i had about it and they all laughed at me and said Riaz, there's no way we're going to bin our main marketing automation platform and and pop that in and so i had to scale back my um desire, if you like, to build this entirely new fancy marketing automation 2.0 platform um, and and build basically one of the early modules of it and then expand from there sort of thing. So that's that's basically what we ended up doing.
0: It's interesting. You've mentioned a couple of times that the cost of acquisition has gone up in B2B. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is fascinating at a time when we've got all these new digital technologies that should, in theory, make it easier to, to reach our customers. So uh, what do you attribute that increased in acquisition costs to? Uh,
1: quite literally, it's, it is competition. I mean, I mean, if you go back, um, I mean, obviously, COVID has accelerated this. I mean, the, the costs of advertising on LinkedIn have rocketed um, in the last 12 months. As, at the end of the day, there's only so many finite spots that you can, you can buy. Um and um we did some analysis actually, you know, we're playing in the in the enterprise space, right? We're playing in the in the selling to enterprise space, Mm -hmm. I suppose, to be more precise. And, you know, I'm sure you aren't surprised by how similar the lists of companies that that companies go after are. And and so, you know, that is the reality is that it is a competitive marketplace and and we're all going after um, largely not entirely but the same types of customers Um, and of course we're all putting content online and there's only so much content you consume um, you know in one go at the end of the day that's the one thing that all of us as humans have equal is the amount of time we have in a day
0: interesting so I mean your solution is is focus effectively through account based marketing is that that's right summary yeah
1: yeah yeah that's where we that's where we ended up um, you know (laughs) pinning our our hat to, if you like. Um, it, it's quite clearly an approach that we feel takes the traditional one to one of targeting a single company and using our technology we can scale it up to, to hundreds, if not maybe low thousands mm-hmm. sort of level. And and deliver a much better buying experience as a result. One that cuts through the noise and, you know, isn't quite so generic as Non-ABM strategies tend to be.
0: So you're basically focusing on the most competitive part of the market. They're targeting these these big um, yeah. enterprises. I, I mean, is is that the biggest challenge? Is breaking through the noise and and how do you do that?
1: I think I think the biggest challenge is that the buyer themselves are obviously different, even to five ten years ago, right? So so by far the majority are digitally savvy. They're very used to researching on the internet. They, they use social networks, review customer review websites. The way they go about picking vendors is um, different. I remember seeing some research from LinkedIn a couple of months back, which talked about beaters, betas, B-E-T-A-S, mm-hmm. right, as a, as a category of this new type of buyer. And they're talking about how and actually, in some ways, it's quite funny because it, it it goes back in a way to a phrase that I used to hear an awful lot at the beginning of my career, which was if you bought IBM, you know, <laughs> your job was safe. There was a better face, and I can't remember it now, but you know, you, you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, um. And and actually, interestingly, buyers today want to make a decision quickly, and they, um, but at the same time, they don't want to be taking too much risk of doing that and so they're using brand as a way to mitigate that that risk Mm -hmm. if that makes sense so so your reputation um and and how good you are at what you do is is a much more important part of the story than it was five years ago sort of thing
0: so what you're trying to do is effectively by Focusing that that budget, build up a, a reputation for your customers with those key enterprises is that that's, you see Yeah, that's working?
1: right. So so we do we basically do three things. Right? So we we do that advertising, the company targeted advertising piece, which allows you to build um you know massive awareness for very low cost inside those target companies. Because often the advertising world, um, B2B businesses, only the very biggest B2B businesses that can do um, a broad brand based mm-hmm. strategy.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, this allows you to spend much less overall, but reach those very specific targets that you know would be either strategically valuable or you know a good fit from a value proposition. Um, and so the S, we do that. and then second, we use data to basically then identify which of those companies that you're targeting are in market today and actually would be open to a conversation because you know with enterprise sales it's not typically you don't normally it does happen rarely but you don't normally pick up the phone um, and suddenly close a deal these are contracts that you typically are nurturing and building relationships with over time and so we're one of the tools in that toolkit to help you do that
0: Mm -hmm you you talk a lot about awareness and um, reputation with with customers that, that seems to be a a slightly different take on what you're trying to achieve with abm to what other vendors are saying where other vendors are kind of saying you know try our solution it will get you more sales um whereas you seem to be saying this is only from from my point of view it seems to be this is the first part of the journey of getting more sales it's only part of abm is that is that's, that a fair representation of what you're saying?
1: Yeah, that is absolutely true. I, I, you know, Our clients do get more sales. In fact, the average contract values are higher, um, and, and sometimes astonishingly so. I mean, one of our clients got a 7x increase in average contract value wow.
0: um,
1: from the program. But not for a second would I say that that's because they did an advertising program and magically, at the end of it, you you got um, these massive increases you know it's it's a channel um, it's one part of the toolkit you've got to tie that in with other channels you know all channels working um, in coordination with each other to drive higher value and more clients
0: mm-hmm. and so I, I mean are you selling radiate to to marketing teams or are you selling them to sales teams
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good question. Um, we primarily sell to uh, marketing teams, yeah. um, but we work very, very closely
0: with sales teams.
1: So it may well be that the advertising campaign is, is um, implemented by marketing, but there's a feedback loop from the sales um, enablement sales development teams. That comes back to us. We typically engage with that sales team early on um, in the campaign, and then, of course, the data that we produce from the campaign, as well as our other intent data feeds that we create, they all go directly to sales and, and get followed up on there, and again, come back to us as a feedback loop afterwards. And it, you know, it plays to that idea of ABM programs being sales and marketing joined at the hip.
0: Yeah. That, that- that's really interesting. I mean, presumably then the data you're generating, you pushing that to to other platforms is integration an important part you yeah. your offering? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So we'll, we'll push data directly into marketing automation, CRM systems, but sometimes just email, you know, it's always, it's, it's. I think once you've been in the industry as long as, as long as we have, you know, it, it, it's never a surprise, is it? That companies <laughs> okay. aren't always quite um, ready for the uh, um the feeds into the systems themselves and email just works
0: interesting so the simplest technology is the most effective yeah yeah so I'm interested I mean who typically buys radio is there a typical customer in terms of industry or size or something that that tip, would benefit the most
1: um I mean obviously fundamentally the first requirement is that you sell to enterprise Right. If it, you know, when we have conversations with companies that aren't selling to enterprise and they're selling products that are thousands of dollars, you know, low thousands of dollars in, in value. I'm not yeah. sure why I'm using dollars um, <laughs> if we're in the UK. But, you know, clearly that's not a good fit um, for us. But, but yes, if you're selling to enterprise, I typically say that you are probably, you know, for, for where we are today, more likely it's a technology business they they're typically early adopters you know it could be manufacturing it could be professional services but most of our clients are technology businesses we have some marketing agencies that we work with and some IT consultancies that we work with um, as well but primarily it's that and then and then to be honest who they sell to I think is always really interesting for most of the time it's been pretty even an even mix between targeting retailers and travel companies to finance companies to, you know, from targeting HR people to marketing people or, um, you know, again, finance people. Interestingly, over lockdown, we saw a surge in companies targeting HR people. That was an outsized shift in our client base for a period of time. We seem to be coming back to what I would call normality a little bit now, where we're, we're back targeting Pretty much all the verticals and various personas within it.
0: And was that move to HR? Was that because COVID became, to a large extent, HR's problem in different? Yeah, situations? I think yeah. so.
1: I think so. I mean, I, the conversations we used to, we we used to see were, were basically that you know HR doesn't have time. We can save them time, but to get hold of them is really difficult. And obviously, one of the things that we're able to do is to plant a message in somebody. You know, it's like a TV ad, right? It, mm-hmm. It's one of my big disappointments with the digital world is we got so hung up on data and click-throughs um, that we forgot the impact of brand. And, and, you know, a display ad is very similar to a TV ad in that it just nudges you. It's there in the side of your eye. You're aware of it subconsciously. And so we're a, we were able to go in front of these HR people who, um, you know, were not browsing very much because they were so busy, but when they were browsing, we were able to see them, put advertising in front of them, And, um, you know, make them aware of what's possible to save them time in a period when they didn't have time and they were looking for ways Mm -hmm. to to be more efficient in their time.
0: And in terms of of targeting those people, I mean, I'm interested to know what what you've seen working. You know, if you want to target HR people, typically, I mean, normally what you have to do is target the whole company by IP and then filter out the people who who engage with the ads. Is that how um, Radiate operates or is there a, a different technology?
1: We use, I mean, we use a range of things. It depends. It depends a little bit on the project, but we do all of that um, behind the scenes. Predominantly, though, what we're doing is using NLP, um, so natural language processing, mm-hmm. um, where we'll, um, um, you know, we'll look at the pages that are being browsed, and we will make a decision as to whether that page is being viewed by um, the type of person we want to reach or not. Um, and so that's typically how it works.
0: Well, okay. So you're, you're categorizing the the content to define who's likely to watch it, yeah. Read it, yeah. Interesting. So I, I'm intrigued to know. I mean, a, a lot of companies have tried uh, ABM and not been um, successful. I'm really interested to know what approaches you think work. What what's good? What um, you know? What you've seen being successful?
1: Yeah. There's there's. Uh, I mean. It's in, it's been an interesting four years in that regard because um, we don't see quite so many ABM pilots. I mean, I, numbers wise, I guess I guess they're more, but but percentage wise, um, it, it's less. Um, you know, whereas two or three years ago, almost every every conversation we had was an ABM pilot, and if I look look across those pilots. Um, there's a range of things i i don't think there's there's a single thing you can say that was always the cause of failure it's a whole bunch of things so so you know sales and marketing not working together i mean i remember one client who you know we sat in a room with the with sales and marketing and you know and and basically we had a great conversation and then we weren't going to share certain content with the other team <laughs> And, you know, that was a guarantee that that project was going to fail if we yep. let that happen. We didn't let it happen, we, we, you know, we said, look, if you do this, the project will fail. And, and thankfully they didn't, but we have seen stuff like that happen where it has failed. Data, honestly, probably the, the thing that is the hardest thing to solve. I mean, something like sales and marketing alignment, in theory, it's, you know, if you can get the two people to be at a table with each other and have a conversation, you you know, you at least got the opportunity to make that work, but data often is a much harder piece. You know, figuring out who to go after is actually, I think, one of the hardest things because, especially when you're starting out and you need to show a return on your on your pilot. Um, far too often, we would see companies come up with a list that may well have made sense, but invariably you don't have the processes and structures in place, because you haven't been doing ABM, to be able to scale an ABM program quickly. And so either, and so you fall into this weird middle ground where you've got a couple of hundred companies, let's say, but you don't yet have the processes in place to manage those couple of hundred companies effectively. And worse, if you go for too small a number, like say 10 or 50 companies, there's a pretty high likelihood that those companies aren't in, aren't in market.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Mm
1: -hmm. and so you get three months in and you realize that actually, um, you're left with such a small number of companies that could be in market that your project's never going to do a deliverable return. And so what we've seen work has been a couple of different methods. Either you go after enough companies that you can be sure that you're going to find some Traction, and typically in that case, we really simplify the ABM program. So it's an advertising program with the sales follow-up, a sales development follow-up type thing. So a really simple, not very complicated ABM um, program at all. And usually, when we do that, we'll see an uplift in performance from the sales development team, and that uplift alone will probably pay for the program in itself. Um, The other way to do it. And I know an awful lot of ABM practitioners who recommend this way, which is to go after customers that you want to expand. And that's a good way to start to understand the processes you need to put in place internally to, to actually have a successful ABM program. And then from there, expand to net new business. Now, that's obviously a slower way to create an ABM program that's driving new revenue. So... Again, it depends on your priorities inside your business. Um, But the beauty of doing the customer upsell approach is you typically, I hope, know an awful lot about those customers, um, much more than you would do about net new prospects that you haven't
0: yet engaged with. Interesting. So, I I mean, obviously there's like a whole range of of levels of complexity from Targeting or existing customers at one end, which should be fairly easy. I mean, hopefully you know who they are. Yeah. All the way through yeah. to building these these lists of a few hundred targets. Yeah. But but in terms of actually deploying the technology, I mean, how how complicated is it to deploy something like Radiate B two B that does you know the advertising and tracks people on the website and brings you these analytics? It seems like it's doing an awful lot. Is it that difficult to use?
1: <laughs> no. Um... We are, we are full service, so we take all the pain away. Um, that makes it easier for our clients. But it's not exactly difficult from our side in terms of getting things set up. It takes us 48 hours to get set up. You know, We, we create a tag which, which our clients put on their website. That's often the thing that takes the longest time. In, in reality. And so then, you know, we, we load up the system, we manage all the optimization of all the advertising, we make the recommendations around what our clients should do. So, so often when clients are starting, you know, they, they get to be
0: handheld by us right the way through mm-hmm. the program. So that somebody could be up and running within a week, it sounds like. Yeah, oh, absolutely.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. we've had yeah. clients come in, they've called us on the Monday, and by the following Monday, the campaign was live.
0: Wow. Okay. I mean, I hate to say it, but this level of support and the the speed and the functionality—it sounds quite expensive. I mean, is it is it something that only the largest enterprises can afford?
1: We so our target, if you like, in our our, our goal is to make this available for mid-market. So mid-market companies selling to enterprise. So to give you an idea, spend-wise, you're probably going to have to spend on the advertising side from twenty. 25k annually. Mhm. So not so That's not, not anywhere near talk, yeah. the levels that you would normally need to get to to do an advertising campaign online annually
0: anyway. Yeah, it's only a couple of thousand uh, pounds a month. Yeah. Wow, okay. And then is there a a fee to to use the platform or is that covered by the advertising?
1: That's spend? all so yeah, so I I I've um I have simplified it all completely from a pricing yeah. standpoint. So, so that includes everything
0: wow okay so so definitely mid-market companies you know if that's they right. if they're selling something that that's um worth a few thousand uh pounds or dollars then then clearly you can see the return coming very quickly yeah yeah exactly interesting i, I i'm very aware of time i I'm just interested now i mean there seems to be so much we could talk about with the platform is there anything else you'd like to highlight or pick out in terms of, of what it does um, that the listeners might be interested in
1: I think, I think the, the really interesting thing for me, um, alongside the advertising, is is the amount of what's being termed now intent data that sort of sits around all of this. It really interests me, we we obviously, we do website intent data, so looking at on your website and identifying which companies mm-hmm. are not converting but showing um, um, buying behaviour. But we also um, have the ability to identify who's off your website and um, showing buying behavior. And then you combine that with the advertising. And what's really interesting to me is is actually, and again, this goes back to what we talked about earlier about this being all about multiple tools that you put together to allow you to have conversations with those enterprise companies and, and build those relationships is, is with the ability to identify topics, for example, or, you know, the advertising campaigns, to be able to put different types of messages in front of a company and then to start to see which types of content are causing that engagement, if you like, that interaction, means that you start to be able to not just tell your um, sales development team who they should pick up the phone to, you know, which is, 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 in reality, one of the difficult, most difficult things for sales development teams, I think, today, is you can spend so much time going after companies and actually them going nowhere. And so if we can just move the needle so that they're more likely to connect, more likely to have a conversation, that's great. But then when you get on the phone and have a conversation with them, if you're doing it cold, knowing the angle by which you want to start that conversation, you know which topic, which of the, of the various USPs that you have as a business do you focus the conversation on? Um, if you get that right, it means that you have a much better quality conversation with that person. And that obviously is a really good step towards building a higher quality relationship over the course of what could be months.
0: That That's really interesting. I mean, the, the fact that intent data is not only useful for targeting, but also determining topics and then, then helping the SDR when they're on the phone. I mean, that I can see how you've built this platform around um, kind of driving the advertising, working out what to say and who to say it to, and also seeing whether it works by tracking on the website. That's great.
1: Yeah, and we are nowhere near finished. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have rides. a roadmap for many years.
0: So if somebody was, was interested either in terms of what they've heard today, or you know, they'd like to talk to you about all these other exciting new um, developments in the future, um, what would be the best way to get in contact with you, Rias?
1: there's uh, I mean there's the easy way via our website there's obviously a, a form there but you can you're more than welcome to con- you know connect with me on LinkedIn send me a message there or just send an email to hello at radiob 2 bcom
0: that's fantastic thank you so much for your time on the podcast Rias it's been fascinating I wish we had more time we could have talked about a lot more thank you very much
1: thank you Mike lovely to talk to you as well
0: Thanks so much for listening to Marketing B2B Tech. We hope you enjoyed the episode, and if you did, please make sure you subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcast application. If you'd like to know more, please visit our website at napierb2b.com or contact me directly on LinkedIn.